This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, episode 46. Today on the Empowered Athlete Podcast, we bring to you an athlete who plays a sport that is truly Canadian. It's curling, and we welcome Kirk Mayers, who plays mixed doubles and men's fours in this amazing sport that I have never tried and one day hope to be taught how to play by Kurt. Kurt is an expert. He's been a bronze medalist at Worlds in mixed doubles. He's won a World Cup event in that sport as well, in that discipline. And in the men's fours, he's been to the Briar, you all know the Briar, six times representing Saskatchewan with his team there. He's just an incredible guy down to earth. And this interview has some gold in it that young athletes need to hear in terms of skill acquisition and self-improvement and the mental side of things. The pressure to shoot in this sport when everything is on the line at the end of the game is absolutely immense and incredible to watch. Before we get to the great interview though, I want to remind you that June is junk free June and the 1230 challenge that's running all year. 30 day challenges, one every single month of the year. Join us for this challenge where every day we're looking for you to remove one or two objects from your house. Don't throw them out, recycle them, sell them, donate them clean up your space pick an area in the house once a week to really get after it and give it a deep clean you will feel amazing where you live will look better and hopefully those things that you're passing on will help some other people out as well join that in the show notes check it out and also look for kirk's foundation the do more agriculture foundation there as well learn how you can get involved so without further ado let's get to the interview with kirk mayers Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. And as you know from the show intro, we are joined by Kurt Myers, mixed doubles curling specialist, but all-around curler, all disciplines, and an all-around great guy. Thank you for making the time to join us on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. This is uh, this is pretty neat. Uh, um, I'm among pretty special, uh, pretty special guests here, so I'm honored to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are excited to have you. We haven't had any uh, curling athletes on, so we want to hear all about what you do. And I think that if, you know, some of our listeners aren't necessarily Canadian, Canadians are more familiar with curling, maybe some Europeans as well, but um, you will, you know, give us the behind the scenes kind of uh, inside scoop. We'd love to hear all that stuff, but, you know, go, go back for us. Tell us a little bit about how you got going into curling? Were you in other sports first? Was there always a love for curling? What was it like for you? Um, you know, I uh, I got a lot of curlers kind of seemed to get into it, high, high level curlers anyways, through their, their family and their parents. And um, my dad was a high level curler kind of through the 80s, um, was one on, on one of the best teams in, in Canada. And of course, like many small boys, you want to be like your dad. So um, that's what got me into it. I just wanted to curl. I wanted to be like my dad. And he, after he wanted to, he wanted to let me grow up a little bit before I got into it. But I think uh, the story goes, I was throwing a temper tantrum on the kitchen floor when I was seven, cause I wanted to go curling. And he finally, he finally gave in and, and took me out to it. And, and really my love for it hasn't wavered since I, um, I've, I've played since I was seven. I quit hockey when I was 13 to focus a little more time on curling. And, and I've been going at it hard since. And uh, I played many other sports growing up. I played baseball. Like I said, I played hockey, um, soccer. Um, and then really, I grew up in a town of uh, um, about 200 kids in our school from K to 12. 
So we all had to play all sports. Otherwise we couldn't field teams. So it was one of those, uh, one of those stories that you kind of played all the sports growing up and, and you enjoyed it and you loved it. And, but uh, at the end of the day, when I graduated high school, um, really focused on curling from, from there on out. So, so did conversations at the dinner table revolve around strategy from a young age or did you talk about all kinds of things at dinner? Was it (laughs) curling focused? You know, it seems, it seems to be curling focused even to this day. Um, It's um, it seems Every conversation we have with the family, it's, it's, it's based around curling. Uh, I, I, I play on my men's team. I play with my brother and my dad coaches us. Um, we, don't, we can't seem to get away from it that much. And it seems every time we get together, we're talking about curling and, and uh, doesn't, seem to, um, doesn't seem to stray away from that too much. I, I kind of feel sorry for my mom sometimes, but she's, she's been around it so long. She now, she now likes it too. So um, it's kind of it's what... We pride ourselves on and we enjoy it and we love it and it brings our family together. So it's pretty neat. That is, that is awesome. So when you talk about your family, this is small town Saskatchewan, is that right? That's right. Yeah. That's uh, that's the hotbed of curling. That's for sure. It seems every, every small town has a curling rink and uh, it's where everyone goes all winter. So, but yeah, I grew up in a town, uh, the town I actually grew up in, I think has about 60 people in it. And then I went to school in a town about 10 minutes, uh, to the west and it's got about 500 people in it so we grew up in in a small area of uh, saskatchewan and what was the town uh saint gregor so that my hometown is officially saint gregor um i learned to curl in uh in where where my high school and school was in munster and then uh, most of our groceries and most of my curling actually took place in in humboldt saskatchewan wow wow and then how many siblings do you have just one, just my brother, my older brother. So, and, and we've been curling together now for, oh, we, we played together when we were kids. And then um, a few years through juniors, we, we kind of went our separate ways for a little bit. Um, actually played each other in the provincial final to go to our first, uh, go to our first uh, national championship, which for curlers in Saskatchewan is a, is a huge deal. I mean, we, we play some, some players play their whole life for the opportunity to wear what we say is the green jacket. So the Saskatchewan green jacket at a national championship and um, when my brother was 20 and I was 17 we played in the provincial junior final against each other for that first green jacket and uh, I remember that was a pretty crazy experience for our family and uh, he ended up winning but uh, I can't imagine how my mother felt she must have been torn into pieces on who to cheer cheer for but um, looking back it's all fond memories and then um, now we my brother and I we played together for about I guess this is our eight or ninth year since we've been in in men's or, or senior level play so Wow. Okay. So between all those other sports, you're, we're talking hockey and soccer and, you know, just everything else that you were, you're, you know, adding to the team volume. What, what was it about curling that really made you fall in love with it? Like what was the thing that made you really want to keep pursuing it versus the other sports? Uh, that's a really good question. I think uh, as I've got older, I've started to recognize those things a lot more. And um, whereas it seemed when I was younger, it was more, um, you know, I just kind of, I just kind of went with things and I necessarily didn't think a whole lot about why I was doing certain things. And I think, I think a lot of it at the time, honestly, was the fact that, you know, it was kind of a family legacy. You know, we were, we were curlers and, and that's what we did. And, and that was what was going to be for me. And I, and I never, ever got that feeling that I was pushed into it by my family, by no means, um, or, or by my dad. Um, it was just kind of something I was proud of our family to be a part of. And I wanted to continue that. Um, 
so I think that might have been, and the other side of it is uh, um, maybe good or bad, but I was better at it than other sports. Uh, I was never, I was never going to make it to the MLB or I was never going to make it to professional soccer, but um, I knew at a young age, I had a really good chance to be really, really good and do something special in curling. So um, that was kind of why I, I, I stuck to it then. And, and now people ask me why I play and why I love it. And, and now I, the, the answer is easy. I, I love the feeling I get in big games, the, the pressure moments, the nerves that you get in big, huge curling games when um, everything's riding on that last rock and either you're throwing that rock or you're sweeping that rock and, and those the nerves that are flowing through your body, is, it's, it's a feeling you don't get anywhere else in life. So it's pretty special to be able to get to experience that throughout the winter. And, uh, and that's why I love it to this day. That's why I play now. Um, it's for those, those, those feelings of those nerves that you get in those big moments. So when, when you were little, you're, you're younger, maybe in between those ages of, I don't know, say seven to, th and you're yep. getting those pressure moments and there, because there's, there's so much accuracy involved and technique involved and then keeping a cool head, that mental focus, how, how did you manage it at those ages without without the meltdowns that would typically happen for that that childlike mind mm -hmm. what you know wh what made you still like it because that that might be a time where that's a real turnoff for a kid yep. but you know there's a lot of that seemed to be the thing that drew you or maybe you could manage it better than the other your peers like what was um what was different about you versus other people? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I again, I think uh, it's a trial and error thing. I, I'm, it's hard to look back and remember those moments that well. But uh, in my mind, I, I'm thinking I probably didn't handle it that well. Um, it would have been the, the fight or flight uh, feeling that came up, came upon me. And, um, you know, thinking back, I'm pretty sure the flight took over in a lot of instances. And, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I think at that time, um, we were, I don't know, we were a, a really, a really good young curling team. So if we were playing other, you know, 12, 13 year old kids, we would, we would end up beating up on them pretty good. And so we actually wouldn't end up having a lot of those pressure moments. And then, uh, mm. and then if, when we, we always played up, so we'd always play maybe the senior, senior teams. Uh, so we'd get better. And then the, the expectation was we weren't going to win. So there was no pressure in those situations either. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what I had been feeling back then, but uh, my gut is telling me that uh, I, I had to learn to, to enjoy that pressure, enjoy the nerves over the last, you know, 10 years. I think back then I probably uh, wanted to get out of those situations more than you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, success early helps though, you know, because then you, you're still riding on that high of winning and wanting to do the next thing and wanting to win again, like getting addicted to that winning feeling as well. So you know, tell us what brought you into some of those young successes, because you were Canadian junior champion in 2011. Is that when it was? Yeah, that's that's right. So that was uh, my first uh, call it my first Canadian jacket. My first time I got to represent Canada at, uh, at a world championship. Um, coincidentally, that was also the first time I had won a, a green jacket at the Saskatchewan championship was that same year. And uh, um, so it was a matter of really um just kind of enjoying that ride because you obviously don't, don't get it a whole bunch, but I think, you know, going through those, those years before that from age, maybe, maybe 14 to 19, I, um, I think I, in, in Saskatchewan anyways, um, I just, you know, I, I, I believe I worked harder than anyone else. I, I never believed I was necessarily the most talented 
player. Um, I certainly wasn't the most talented athlete, uh, obviously, by the I wasn't very good at baseball and the other sports I played, but I liked them. Um, but I think kind of the work ethic and because I love the game so much. I love going to the curling rink and throwing rocks and practicing for hours on end. I love going to bonds fields and tournaments and just playing. So um, it, it didn't feel like work. But looking back, I think that's really what gave me a leg up on other competitors at that age. Um, a lot of times throughout those years. People would throw together a team. They'd play in one or two bonds fields. They'd play maybe once a week in a league, and that would be all they'd do for the year. Well, um, I, I would be on the ice every day, sometimes twice a day, throwing rocks for an hour, two hours. I'd be going to bonds fields every week. And I think, honestly, that gave me a leg up on competition at that age and, uh, and kind of allowed me to kind of propel myself into, um, into the senior level as well. And, and now the teams at the top of the game that I play against, everyone does it. Everyone works hard. It's, it's not really a differentiating factor, but um, it certainly helped me kind of rise through the junior ranks. But given, so, given that massive amount of curling so young, did you feel at any point, did you get burned out or feel that it was a little too much at any point? Or did that hunger to just continue to play and improve, stay constant throughout? No, absolutely. I, 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 I've different phases throughout my career. I've definitely felt the burnout. Um, I remember I, uh, I, I tell this story once in a while. I remember the time, um, actually the year before I had won that Canadian championship. Um, I was, I guess, 18 years old. I'd, I'd moved to Saskatoon. So I call it where we come from. We moved to the city. I started going to school and, um, I wasn't necessarily seeing the, the success that I wanted to see out of the game, I guess. And, um, I, I, I just fully expected at that point to have, you know, been to a national championship and those things. And I just wasn't seeing the success. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is time I move on from the game. I experienced some other things in my life, um, maybe focused on school, focused on career, focused on friends and family. Cause, um, as you guys know, with any, you know, high performance athlete, a lot of those things kind of take a side, a sidebar when you're competing. absolutely. Yeah. And so that was, that was, you know, I, I remember that was a distinct moment where I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I am going to take a break anyways. I don't necessarily know if I'd have been done at the time, um, but I, I was definitely burnt out the years and years of all that training and practice. And I think it's more even the obsession with it. It isn't necessarily going to the rink for an hour or two every day and going on the road every weekend. It's when you're sitting in your bed at night and you're worried about, you know, um, something, some part of your game and you, and you start obsessing about it and you can't sleep and it kind of creeps into your whole um, your whole life. It's not just those couple hours you spent at the rink. And I think that's really what caused a lot of the burnout for me at a young age when I didn't understand what that was. And so you, uh, you, yeah, you didn't oh, have sorry. a, I was just gonna say, you didn't have a tool or it doesn't sound like you had the tools at that point to disconnect or turn off yeah. that, that running curling process in the back of your mind about various parts of your game and things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and quite frankly, I, uh, um, Ralph Schoenfeld is a is a, um, a sports psychologist that worked with us probably for the last seven or eight years. But at that time, I hadn't been hadn't been introduced to him yet. And and these are all conversations we had in that time. And and I mean, he's a huge part of my development. But um, there was no one teaching me or helping me through those moments. And I was kind of felt like maybe I was on an island a little bit with some of that um, obsession that I did have, and that like you said, that inability to disconnect. So. Um, when I did meet Ralph and we started working through those things, it certainly became a lot easier. So what are the tools you use now that are different so that you 
have more quality of life off the ice or you aren't spending you're you can choose when to spend time to really focus technically or obsess if you want to but what are the tools you have now like how do you how does it how does it stay out of the burnout zone yep i mean i i think it probably doesn't stay out of the burnout zone all the time um um, it's, it's kind of one of those things, the work in progress for me, I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at not obsessing over it. Um, but, uh, some of the, one of the big ones I use is I try to, uh, allocate time in my life. So, um, I use my calendar and those sort of things where I have time for curling and I have time for work and I have time for family and I have time for friends and I have time for relaxing. And, and when I'm not in the curling, um, work mode, or curling mode, I, I shut it off. And if a mind slips back into that, I try to remind myself to move on. And, and kind of um, one of the one of the words I use is is stay in my lane. You know, stay with what I'm focusing on now. Whatever is with another part of my life can wait. And so that that's really one of the tools I use is just allocating time more effectively. And uh, and another slogan that's really bode well for me over the years is is less is more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's about quality, not quantity. Um, there would have been a time when I got obsessed with quantity of work, not the quality of work. So, um, those are, those are another kind of slogan that I use to kind of allow myself to disconnect, give myself the permission to disconnect it and leave curling behind. Cause I know if I can let it go for a few hours, when I come back, I'll be a lot more refreshed. For sure. Those are, those are excellent and good, good mantras that are almost visual as well. So you can say them, but also put a, a visual portion to it as well um or you could just go to bali and disconnect that way. <laughs> yeah that doesn't hurt either yeah. <laughs> except for a, a, a guy a kid from saint gregor uh, isn't really good with uh with bali heat i, I had oh. a perma sweat on for two weeks so I, it was nice to come back home and it was a little cooler <laughs> you got some good good swass going <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Hey, but stay, staying on mental tools, we'll try to erase that <laughs> okay. image from our minds. Yeah, we'll go back. <laughs> I got I, visual. I, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, though, you, you already mentioned to us how it's the big moments, the nervous moments that really light your fire and spark you in the game. So let's talk about what tools you have in play in those moments of crucial games where because for me watching curling, I see it as different. I'm, I'm a volleyball player, you know, mm-hmm. in other sports before the big moments, there isn't always a lot of time to think mm-hmm. uh, you have eight seconds to serve the ball in volleyball, eight seconds. You've yeah. got, you know, you guys will be staring down a shot, debating which shot you're going to make. And you have, you know, minutes where you're thinking about this shot what tools do you have what's going on in your mind how do you deal with that how do you execute and perform yeah you know that's uh that's obviously always a work in progress as well but uh um what one of the things like i've really learned about myself is is when i can get excited and nervous is actually when i can perform really well so um it's it's uh some people need to kind of revert their mind and change what they're thinking about and go back to maybe thinking about what the ice is doing or what they need to accomplish. Whereas I really allow myself to feel the nerves. I really allow myself to feel the excitement. And I've learned that about myself. And um, 
quite frankly, it's, it's, uh, it's what's helped me be very successful. I've learned that when I can feel those nerves and when I can encourage those nerves and let those nerves come into my body, I think it, it allows me to have a higher, um, higher focus ability. It allows my brain to kind of go into overdrive and get that next level of um, focus, that next level of uh, precision that I need to, to be really good. So um, for me, it was just a matter of learning that I don't necessarily need to do much different. I have to allow those nerves to come in and allow that to be who I am right now and, and try not to um, overthink what needs to happen. I, um, I just started skipping this past season and, uh, and as a skip, you're the, the game rides on you. You'd, you either yep. make the last shot for the win or you don't make the last shot and you lose. It's, it's, it's really that simple. And the first shot I had for the win um, this season, I, I got thinking in my head as I was going down the sheet to throw the draw, it was a really easy draw to the eight foot for the win. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is what the thought in my head was. Oh my goodness, I'm so nervous that I'm excited. So therefore, I am going to kick out of the hack harder than I think I'm going to because my nerves are pumping. Right. And I'm going to throw it heavy. <laughs> So what I did, of course, was I overcompensated and I threw the rock, I don't know, probably halfway down the sheet or something. Like it wasn't even close. <laughs> and, and after that moment, I realized that, you know, for me, it's, it's not necessarily about uh, changing what, what I'm doing or, or, or tricking my mind. It's about allowing my mind to be what it is and just, yeah. uh, and just allowing those nerves to come in because that's going to help me focus and help me be more precise. So um, that was a work in progress too, but that's, uh, that's a, it's a pretty comforting thought when you think about uh, when you're going to play to go to the Olympic Games or you're going to go play to maybe win an Olympic gold medal one day to know that in those moments when you're going to be so nervous that you can't even believe it, that you know yeah. you're going to be successful in those moments. So it's a pretty comforting thing to tell yourself. Yeah, it's a really positive spin you're putting on it, thinking that, okay, you're recognizing the nervousness, so you're equating that to excitement and a good thing and realizing you can use it as a catalyst to more focus, to perform mm -hmm. better, instead of yeah, treating it as a negative, I'm nervous, what can go wrong? It's mm -hmm. that spin you're putting on it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Kari? I know you've... Well, it's, it's a real, I agree completely, like a real acceptance of your state. And when you have that acceptance of your state, there's not as much, as much second guessing. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, that brings me as well, based on what you said, is, is that what your goal is, is to push toward the Olympics? Like what's, what's you, you've done so much, you've, you've represented Saskatchewan over and over and over like 2014, five or six consecutive briars. Yeah, no. 15, 16, not 17, 18, 19. Oh, you, like... you, got, you got to bring up 17, eh? We got to talk yeah. about that one too. <laughs> There's uh, kind of a glaring gap there. <laughs> we, got, we got beat by the better team that year. We were uh, um, in curling, you usually score five or six games or five or six points to win a game. And uh, if I think if we had scored nine more points that game, we would have won the final. So um, we, we, we had a long ways to go. <laughs> wow. So what is it, is, is this what you're going for? Like this, are you going to keep going until you reach that ultimate goal? Because there's, there's a longer, there's a longer lifespan or playing span for a curler than there are for some sports. And, you know, you can kind of mix it in as well with other aspects of your life versus living abroad or 
some of the other demands that other sports have. So you've got the opportunity for a career longevity and also having kind of some balance with the rest of your life. Are you finding that or do you feel like it's still all consuming? Like, what is it like for you? I've, I've worked with other curlers in Manitoba and, you know, one of them was a lawyer, tried to balance that for quite some time, but then ended up taking a leave for a period of time because it was just the curling was all consuming. Um, some other curlers I worked with, they had other businesses or jobs. But what is it like for you? Like, is it is how do you balance your life? And then what is it looking like for what you want for your curling goals? If that looks like the Olympics? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the, the balance is tough, but I mean, um, it, there's a lot, we're busy. We're on the road about a hundred days a year. Um, you, you can make some money at the game, but most people don't really make a lot or, or don't make enough that you can really count on it. Um, so we're, we're, we're definitely working and, uh, we're definitely competing at the same time, but, um, depending on, on how you look at that, um, it's one of those things that's kind of nice too. uh, um, when curling's over, just like all other sports, we're going to need something to, to, to fall back on. And um, as, as Paul may know, you know, you, you may not have that in a lot of other sports when, um, you know, the rower that's been training for 12 hours a day for the last 10 years and also then retires, doesn't have a career to fall back on. So um, where curling's nice, we can, we can pursue our goals on the ice, but we can also kind of build a career out. Another call. So when, uh, um, so when, that curling's over, we can build a life, um, um, you know, with a career as well. So the demands are high for us to do both of those, but I don't think I'd, I'd trade it um, for, for other sports. Um, what's, what's your side job? <laughs> I'm, I'm a mortgage broker, actually, so, um, which works really well with curling, too, because I can do a lot of work from the road and those sort of things. So um, it's, it's nice that I do have a business that allows me to do that, and I'm self-employed, but... Uh, um, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly the better side of it than not having another career until the age of 30 and then not, not really, uh, not having much to fall back on when your sporting life is over. So, um, my side job is strength and conditioning aside from podcasting. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, on the physical side of things, a lot of people don't give the, the kind of respect that curlers might um, should maybe draw because they see curling as, as maybe one of the easier sports There's not a huge demand. But the thing I learned when I was working with curlers a, a number of years ago was just how long the entire weekends were when they were, when they were competing, the, the demand for, you know, they might be eight, 10 hour days of just this intense focus, the kind of drain that would put on people physically and mentally. And it used to be this kind of game that everybody's drinking afterwards and, and, you know, hitting the food, the food canteen and, the, and that kind of thing. But now it's more, um, more of an understanding of the need to be fresh and focused the next day, the need to stay relatively in shape and 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 that kind of thing what's your physical side of preparation for um for your game and how does that affect it yeah absolutely it, it, the curling's totally changed in probably the last 10 years um uh, it seems curlers still find time to have a beer or two but it's usually when they're out of the event so whether they've won it or they've lost out um there's still that camaraderie and curling among all the teams and players which is really neat and, and something that's really special i think to our sport but uh um, but yeah, the, 
Um, the training level has skyrocketed in the last 10 years. And I mean, it's just, just for what you said there, we could be on the ice for, you know, we could be playing three games a day, 10 end games, which are about three hours, but the, the practice starts about an hour before the game. So we'd have three games a day, four hours a game. So we'd be on the ice for 12 hours a day and you'd be walking up and back all day. And then you'd be sweeping at 30 second intervals as hard as you can with, like you said, with that intense focus. So, I mean, um, the demand on curlers is huge. It's a lot more than people would um, think watching the game um, or, or expect. So um, we spend, we spend every day we're in the gym. Um, we're working with trainers, um, that sort of thing. Uh, we, we have one in Saskatoon we work with here and, uh, and then the nutrition side as well. We, um, we probably don't focus as much on the nutrition as we should. Um, but, uh, we do, we do work with a nutritionist that kind of sets up meal planning and, and times to eat and what to eat when we're on the road, as well as kind of learning what our body needs when we're in that preparation phase at home too. So, um, people don't expect it out of curlers, but it's, it's absolutely a piece of the puzzle that, that has been added to the game in the last 10 years. And, and it's becoming more and more of a focus for players. It seems as we go here. Do, do you eat differently on the road versus at home? Like, like most people struggle with in, in their careers and, and whatnot. What, what's it like for you? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I, uh, I, my kryptonite is, is potato chips. I love them. <laughs> and at home, at home, I, I, I allow myself to eat way more than I should, way more than I should. And on the road, I'm actually quite good with, uh, not, uh, uh, not giving into that impulse, but, uh, but on the road, it, it is, it's a lot tougher to eat, eat right. I guess you can say it just, um, restaurant food is just seems to have a lot of, you know, a lot of salt and, and butter and sugar in it and that sort of thing. But, um, we do okay. What we usually do is the, the moment we show up at our hotel, we, we, uh, head to the nearest grocery store. We, we get fruits and vegetables and, uh, a few snacks for the week that kind of hold us over. And, and so, so that, that seems to help us really good. It's just kind of taking that time to, to get some of the, you know, the, the groceries on the outside of the, the grocery store, um, for our room so we can snack on them instead of, you know, heading, heading to the, heading to the hotel restaurant and eating some French fries or whatever. <laughs> yeah. the, the canteen the dreaded canteen <laughs> isn't yeah. that the truth <laughs> seriously okay so you are now tell us describe to listeners who may not know a lot about curling um some of the uh different realms of curling so you have been in mixed doubles with a a partner for quite some time uh yeah so so there's there's kind of there's there's a four-person curling game which is four men or four women and then there's now the new discipline called mixed doubles it uh it started probably about 12 years ago but it's first got instituted into the olympic games this past olympics in south korea and so obviously i've been playing the four-person discipline forever since i was since i was uh whatever seven years old and then uh and then i've been lucky enough now to to play in like we said five five briars for saskatchewan and then just so happens last year my partners which is Laura Walker, her husband plays with the Brad Gushu team and they had won the Briar and the Briar winning the Briar. They had to go represent Canada at the world championships and the, um, the world championships conflicted with the mixed doubles national championship. So Laura had asked me to play. It was my uh, second event ever playing mixed doubles. And I said, what the hell I'll go play and uh, have some fun. Lo and behold, we ended up winning it. So that was my second Canadian championship. So I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't exactly say I put a lot of, I paid my dues in the mixed doubles discipline, but um, we ended up winning that. And then we got to represent Canada at the world championships and we ended up winning the bronze medal at the world championships. And, 
um, we've kind of spilled that over into this season. We've, we stayed partners and uh, we were lucky enough to get uh, gold and a silver at uh, uh, two of the four World Cup of curling that kind of started up this year as well in the mixed doubles discipline. So um, there's there's kind of a few different leagues that curling falls under. There's the World Cup of curling. There's the Briar and the Scott Turner Hearts kind of play down system that a lot of people see on TSN on TV. And then there's the Grand Slam of curling as well, which is the men's and women's discipline called the professional tour in Canada as well. So we play on all those and it makes for a busy season, but we're, we're kind of traveling around playing on all those tours. And in terms, in terms of the Olympics, what do you see as your, are you going for both options trying to qualify right now? Yeah. Or are you leading yeah. towards one or the other? Yeah, I am definitely playing for both. Uh, most, I would say 99% of curlers kind of have their men's team or women's team and the mixed doubles partner. Um, that's just kind of the way it go, the way it's kind of, I don't know, the way it's played out here in Canada. And uh, so I am 100% going for both. Realistically at this time, with the Olympics being three years away, um, I would say I have a better chance in the mixed doubles discipline. I mean, um, I've won the Canadian Championship. We're ranked two or three in Canada right now. Um, whereas in the men's discipline, I think we're ranked 10th in Canada and, um, we've never won the Canadian championship. So, I mean, just realistically looking at it, um, uh, from the outside, looking in the mixed doubles would seem like the more likely possibility. But, uh, um, that being said, three years is a long ways away. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you a lot of teams that may or may have won the Olympics in the past or, or represented Canada at the Olympics in the past, you know, uh, five editions of it since it's been a metal sport, there would have been a few teams in there that you would have never have given a sniff to three years before. So um, you just never know. And, and that's what kind of keeps you going every day is that that possibility that it just might happen. That's why you go to the rink. So what's the longest you've been away from the, the rink? Like this has been, you've been doing this for so long. What's the longest you've been away from the rink? Um, you know, luckily it's, the summers are pretty, pretty disconnected generally speaking uh, i'm just trying to think probably the longest would be three months yeah. probably it, probably three months in my life realistically um there's there's a summer curling camp that uh, gets run in saskatchewan every every july so that that kind of throws a wrench in it uh, i've always kind of made time to go there whether i was in the curling camp or i'd go there and throw a few rocks when the ice is available just kind of that opportunity to go you know get uh go get some practice in so it's great to have that break though too oh it's, it's huge yeah. i mean it, i'm starting to learn and appreciate the break more than ever too is is that that whole concept that less is more concept when it's amazing how much um more um how much better and how much more you can get out of things in life when you do step back and take a break and disconnect and then come back to it when you're refreshed you are able to be very powerful, but when you kind of keep hammering at that same wall and not having a lot of success and not taking a step back, it seems like you sometimes just start spinning your wheels. So I'm starting, I think as I get older, I'm really starting to really respect the fact of a break is really powerful in your development. Well, on that note of development, you conveyed to us, you know, and kind of some questions we asked ahead of time that you went through a process with your shot making and your skill level at certain shots where I don't, I don't know if you're overly critical of yourself, but you thought of yourself as not good at certain types of shots in the game. Right. And For lack of a better word, you betcha. But then through, well, why don't you just tell us about your realization of that, how you addressed it and how it relates to what you just said about less is more. 
Yeah, if I, I I must admit I was answering these questions on a beach in uh, a beach in Bali, <laughs> Paul. So you can't hold me to them too much. But I think I think I'm on the right track here. So, um, but yeah, I, I think you know when you when when you kind of recognize you you maybe aren't where you need to be on on certain shots and and you kind of uh, and throughout a lot of my career, you know, you, maybe I accepted that that I wasn't good enough at that shot and that's just who I am and it was never going to get any better. And, uh, and then, then that leads into thoughts of, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be, you know, the Olympic gold medalist. I'm never going to win the briar because I can't make this shot, this certain shot. And when I really realized that it's just a matter of, it's not that I'm not good at that shot. It's just, I don't practice it enough. And I think what I saw kind of growing up too is because I love going to the rink and I love throwing the rocks and I love practicing, but I love to, to ha have success when I'm practicing. So yeah. I go to the rink and I throw shots that I was really good at and I continue to throw those shots because it was fun. And, uh, and so then what I, what I realized was all I needed to really do is realize the shots that maybe I wasn't good enough at, I just needed to practice them more. And, uh, so what I do is after every weekend, I'd write down two or three shots that I need to be better at the next week. I'd go and practice those almost exclusively. And lo and behold, the, the following weekend, I was way better at those shots. And, and that was kind of the moment I really, um, kind of settled into my growth mindset instead of the, the limiting mindset that maybe I was accustomed to growing up. You know, it wasn't that I wasn't sure. good enough. It was that I wasn't good enough yet. And if I allow myself the opportunity to continue to grow and continue to get better at the things I'm not good at, I will get better at them and I'll slowly grow into the kind of the player I want to be. Um, obviously recognizing that I probably will never get to the player I want to be, but that's kind of the fun of it is, is just kind of working through those things. Well, that, that's, that's gold because for younger athletes to hear what you just said in the last two minutes is invaluable in that the way you described yourself as a young player is the way I'd say all of us are in that you want to get in the gym, you want to have fun. So you go to the things that are most fun, which are the things you're good at. Mm -hmm. And then realizing that to improve, okay, you know, it's, it's that disciplined practice of focusing on the weaknesses. And obviously that's where a good coach can come into play to steer a young player mm -hmm. in terms of working on those things. But uh, yeah, just the, that, that instant gratification of hitting your favorite shot on the floor on the basketball court that you're going to, okay, that's great, but it's not going to help you in the game when that spot's not available. And yeah, we, recognize it, your recognition of that process is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, and, we all love to feel good. So we want to keep doing the things that make us feel good, but that's not what's going to get us better. Yep. No, you're exactly right. And, uh, um, I, I just got done reading a book uh, a little while ago. I don't know. You might as well have read it. It's called Grit. Yeah, and, uh, it's a great one. Yeah, she's fantastic. <laughs> yes. And, and when they talked about, uh, they talked about how really this focused practice you need and, and how actually humans are probably only capable. I, I don't remember the exact details. Don't quote me on it. But um, say an hour a day of this high intensity focused practice we need. And uh, that was another moment that I realized, you know, with this growth mindset that I'm, I'm cultivating um, to also allow myself to let go because anything over top of that hour of really intense focus practice is probably a lot of it's wasted. So why am I fretting about these things as well? So um, that was kind of a, uh, a mind shifter as well for myself. Yeah, it's the, it's the, I call it junk miles and I apply that term Ooh, I like to, that. yeah, I apply it to whether it's a runner, it's, that's where the term come from, comes from is running is don't just keep putting in junk miles that aren't going to apply or improve what you really want to improve. You know, if you need to put in volume, that's fine, 
but still make sure that volume is quality, not just junk miles. So yeah, that, and, and then the other thing that happens that uh, I've coached for years is, is training the weak, be, making the weakness become your favorite thing to work. And Paul's heard me say this countless times, just whether it's an athlete that has a, an injury or that weak side, but that becomes their favorite thing to work, whether they start with that side or do extra reps with that side, because that's really the definition of how good that person is at whatever they're doing. So for you, that poor shot, whatever the poor shot was, that is the definition of you as a curler, meaning you're only as good as your worst shot because mm -hmm. you, you have to be that well-rounded because that's always going to be the thing that gets you. So if you can elevate the thing that's your weakest level, then you're going to elevate everything overall. Yep. No, I really like that. Really like that. So um, you've got, you know, a ways to go to really know whether you're in the running for the Olympics. There's a lot on your plate, but in looking at what you've experienced so far and you, you've got a, a solid um, the rest of the quad to really work towards the Olympics. But looking back, what has been your toughest challenge thus far? What have, what has been the toughest thing you've had to overcome? Hmm, that's a, a good question. I think, uh, the toughest thing I've had to overcome is probably that, that, that whole, um, the within within the curling is that whole burnout and that that feeling of is it worth it and sometimes i think sometimes i think uh um it probably happens to all athletes really at some level but it's it's are we are we going down the right path here and are we doing the right things in terms of uh um you know do i do i want to continue with the, the curling or do i want to start the next career or do i want to do something else with my life or um and it, it usually comes kind of when you're you know, six months into the season and you're sick of going on the road and you don't want to leave your family anymore. Or, yeah. or maybe it's, uh, um, when you had a really bad loss or you yeah. lost to maybe somebody you shouldn't, you think you shouldn't lose to, and you go, what am I doing here? Like, this is never going to pan out for me. And, and it's yeah. really, you know, and it's really kind of getting above and over those, those moments and, and realizing why you do it. And, and that's been, quite a work in progress for me actually is finding my why you know i've always just curled i've always done it since i was seven years old now i'm 28 i have literally curled my whole life and there's never been why am i doing it what am i doing it for and and so i've really been really trying to challenge myself and understanding what my why is in the game and why i love it and why i'm pursuing this goal and um quite frankly that's been a huge challenge for me and something i'm still working towards and and uh, you know i don't know if i have the right answer to it uh necessarily all the time and and I think a lot of athletes would would resonate with that in, in some capacity so that's uh that's a challenge I'm trying to work through right now is finding my why and finding why I love it and um you know I've had a few weeks off now and and of course I I wake up this morning and go hmm, I could really use a a, a practice session I want to go back to the ring so I know I, I know I want to do it but but why and 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 that's yeah. a question I'm asking myself uh, kind of on a daily basis and I'm, I'm kind of searching my soul for that answer well, there, there's a couple of things there. One, you know, it really sounds like you have a love of the pursuit of excellence and, and that really drives you. 
but but secondly like everybody doesn't matter what they're in everybody who has really continued to pursue the hard things ends up feeling that burnout and and there's something that we we see in sport and all sorts of realms and that's that you don't you can't quit on a bad day so mm-hmm. you got to mm-hmm. you got to wait till you ride that wave that's you know this crappy phase or whatever it is and and wait till that that uh, settles down and then reassess is this something I really want to step away from when you're in a better state or it's a better day or you're feeling better but you can't just quit on a bad day everybody's going to have a bad day doesn't matter what it is there's going to be bad days but that's not when you make your major decisions your major decisions can only come at a time when you're in a better state and uh and that burnout it's just it it comes with the pursuit of some of the toughest you're at you're at the highest level of what you do and so then you are ripe for experiencing those tough feelings the burnout the tough days the hardest you're going to come up your against your brain all the time because you're growing so much so yeah it's it's that pursuit of excellence that it sounds like you're you're really you've somehow fallen in love with because it's such a technical sport that you're in. Mhm. Yeah, I really like I really like what you say. You you can't quit on a bad day. If 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 on a good day you're ready to sh- shut it down, that's the time to do it, but that's a really good uh way of thinking about it. I like that. So, well, go ahead, Paul. Well, I just uh, on the idea of why, just wanted to ask away from the rink uh, one of your whys is the Do More Agriculture Foundation. I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Yeah, that uh, that actually stemmed out of uh, curling as well. So uh, um, I'll start at the beginning with this one. I so there's uh, what we call is uh, they do a men and a women of curling calendar every year. So um, one year it'll be the women of curling, and the next year we'll be a men of curling calendar. And then they sell these calendars for charity, and each calendar, each uh, uh, model in the calendar can put their money towards uh, any charity they like. And uh, I grew up, I grew up on the farm. Uh, I worked in the agriculture industry. A lot of our um, so sponsors come from the agriculture industry. And I'm just really connected in that, in that uh, industry, in that world. And uh, um, a couple of my fellow co-founders, uh, Kim Keller and Leslie Kelly are very, were very vocal on the need that um, agriculture really hasn't had someone help um their farmers and their industry in terms of the mental health. And so I reached out to them originally. I said, Hey, I'm doing this man of curling calendar. Um, I would like to give my proceeds to, to, you know, uh, mental health and agriculture cause. And, uh, they said there was really nothing available for, <sighs> wow. for farmers to um, fall back on, to help them. And, and, um, a lot of times, a lot of the people in the agriculture industry are isolated. They're one, two hours from any major center. Um, they spend how a long, long hours in, uh, in tractors without uh, talking to anyone. Um, a lot of them are, are running, you know, third, three, four, fifth generation farms, and they feel the pressure of keeping the family farm alive for their, you know, their, their, their oh. relatives that have passed on. And so there's a lot of pressure on um, a, lo- a lot of pressure on these farmers, and they had nowhere to go for help, as well as any industry, as well as anybody in our society, but there was no one specifically for um, farmers to get help with. So we, st- we ended up starting the, the foundation and uh, um, it's going great. We now have a full-time employee running the foundation and uh, the industry's really gotten around. 
um, the Do More Agriculture Foundation, as well as mental health and agriculture. Um, it's been a crazy shift in the last couple of years with that. I'm pretty proud to be a part of it. That's for sure. That's incredible. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Do you, do you think that your um, the coaching you've had from your sports psych, do you think that that has helped you and all the mindset work you've had to do for your excellence in sport? Do you think that that's influenced you wanting to do this and understanding the mental importance for for um, people in agri- agriculture? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, um, mental health has really been a journey and um, for myself as well as most people in our society these days. So um, I think, you know, kind of starting to learn my mind and understand, you know, kind of starting to feel how it kind of goes and moves and, and learns and navigates. I, I realize that um, that might be something that uh, other people, you know, can benefit from. So I think that that certainly was the reason I got into it as well. Is that something you want to have as your legacy um, that lives on beyond your curling career, something that is, is always there and goes on maybe longer than you do? Uh, you know, I haven't thought about it like that, Carrie. Um, certainly, I hope it does. Um, I, I've been lucky, like I said, uh, Kim Keller, Leslie Kelly, and Himanshu Singh are the other three co-founders. Um, they have done so much work. I, I must admit, I haven't done as much as, as much as I should have, or maybe, uh, not nearly as much as them anyways, cause I've just been on the road so much. Um, and so I, I don't think necessarily that, that, that isn't necessarily going to be my legacy, but, uh, um, I hope it lives on forever and then changes the face of agriculture and, and hopefully changes the face of our, uh, our society as a whole. And I think we've seen a movement with mental health in the last few years and it's pretty exciting. That's really amazing. Yeah. Well, you can keep being the pretty face on the calendar, though, too. <laughs> I'll take that. I, if yeah. that can be my legacy, because uh, I, I don't know, at about 45, I don't think they're going to want me on there anymore. <laughs> hey, hey, now, watch what you say about age. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'll get myself in trouble. <laughs> no, no. It's all good. Okay, so let's wrap up with a few things. Um, for young and up-and-coming curlers in the sport what do you what little bits of advice or or little um tidbit might you want to pass on to them um you know um find find what you love and do it uh um if if that's curling just just you know go with it um what i told to a young curler a few years ago she was just getting out of junior she had an amazing junior career she had represented canada at the world junior championships getting the bronze medal and she said, you know, what advice do you have for me? I said, you know, take your time. Um, she said, I said, you, you don't necessarily need to go and win the Scott Turner Hearts, which is the ladies national championship tomorrow. Um, curlers peak at about the age 35. So um, she's got 15 years to reach her peak, um, presumably. So yeah. um, take your time, enjoy life, you know, enjoy going to school, enjoy seeing the world. If that's what you want to do, enjoy, um, you know, spending time with your family and friends you can always get into curling and you can always grow your curling career as you kind of progress through your life so um, for curlers young curlers that's the one thing is is be patient uh it's something i wasn't patient and um i guess maybe it's not a regret of mine but it's certainly something uh um that i look back on and maybe think that maybe i should have been or, or could have been so um i think that probably resonates with with most things in life is, is just be patient um accept where you're at enjoy where you're at um, but kind of work every day to get a little bit better. Nice, nice. Great advice. And for you personally, do you want to or be the best? Ooh, that's a good one. I, I'd like to say I want to do my best, but 
I think there's an element in me one that wants to be the best. Um, mm -hmm. I, I feel like uh, do your best is, is kind of the political answer or the right answer, but um, I do. I want to be the best. I want to, I want to, you know, be on the top of the podium when I go play, and uh, um, maybe that's uh, that's uh, the wrong way to look at it. But I guess uh, being honest with yourself is the most important thing. Oh, it tends to be the competitive nature in the top uh, in sport. That's for sure. We we see that all the time. And um, is there something that might be interesting about you that you can share with people that most people may not know about you? Hmm. I, um, I don't know if most people necessarily don't know this about me, but I, uh, um, a passion of mine is like, is, is, I'm going to say it's, it's small business. I love, um, if I, if I want to have a really engaging conversation with someone, it tends to be about curling or it tends to be about a small business they own, run, or have been a part of in the past. So, um, not too exactly sure why I love that so much, but I love to hear people's stories and how they grew businesses and uh, kind of where they're at in their in their small businesses so um that's that's definitely a little uh a little uh love of mine does that make you a shark tank fan then <laughs> you know i used or to i don't dragon's watch, den uh, dragon's den and shark tank were the were the shows i used to watch all the time i don't anymore i must admit but uh, i did love those shows well we'll have a good small business conversation at some point <laughs> there right on i like it <laughs> So just some uh, fast little questions uh, about you personally. We know you love chips. Are there any other favorite foods that well, what, you have? Hold on. What, what, fa what flavor of chips? Because oh, I, any... I have to say, I have to say that for Christmas, I was given a bag from Kari of black truffle seasoned potato chips that were out of this world. That makes you sound like a chip snob well, right there. You just but, became a chip truffle, snob. Eh? Yeah. Right. But, like, but Kirk, I'm like you. I, I, if I have a weakness, it's for salty. And chips are really tough to resist. So I, we don't really have them in the house. because You hoarded those for yeah, like I know. three months. Three months those sat there yeah. collecting dust. Well, you didn't want to spoil the treat? Yeah, um, I don't know. I just I wanted to really savor them. So, but what's your what's your favorite flavor of chip? Oh, and anything Miss Vicky's. That is my go-to. That okay, is good. Uh, I, I could live off Miss good, Vicky's. Good, so. kettle style oh for sure gosh. all the way. Okay, now what do you eat besides chips, you guys? <laughs> I, I I do mix in some vegetables and some chicken once in a while. Nice, <laughs> right. nice. Okay, dessert. I love dessert. So, Ooh. what's your favorite dessert? Um, I I like a nice a good cheesecake like uh even just a plain cheesecake or maybe a blueberry cheesecake, something like that, I think would be my, my pick. Nice. Uh, nice. Okay. What about favorite movie? Mm, uh, I, I are there any dumb. curling movies? Go with, there is a movie called men with brooms. Have you guys ever heard of men with brooms? <laughs> I have not. It's, it's, it's I, actually I, not bad. Like Leslie Nielsen is in it. And, uh, <laughs> Oh geez. There's, That's a, awesome. there's another, quite big Canadian actor that kind of stars in it. I forget his name, but anyway, it's not bad. It's actually a pretty decent movie, but uh, that's not my favorite movie. I'm going to go with Dumb and Dumber. I watched that on the plane. Oh right my gosh. A classic. Yeah. I have so many lines from that. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> uh, I could live off their lines. They're so good. That's right. That's right. Love that movie. And uh, what about, are there, do you have a favorite book or a book you'd recommend? Ooh, um, you know, Grit, I think just because I read it recently, I'm going to say Grit would be a good one. Um, I would recommend Grit. I'm going to go with that. Okay. And then what about, what else? So when you're not curling and you're not working and you're not in Bali, what, what do you <laughs> like to do? 
I, I make it sound like you go to Bali all the time. <laughs> just once, just once, I swear. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, uh, I, I hang out with my partner, Claire. We, we like to, you know, just kind of, um, she, she's the one that pushes me to get lots of exercise. So we golf, we hike, we walk, those sort of things. Um, we like to enjoy good food and uh, maybe a drink. Um, but honestly, that, that's kind of that's kind of what keeps me busy. I, between work and curling, there's not a lot of extra time, and and the extra time I have, I like to spend it with Claire. So um, that's kind of what I do. That's great. That's great. And then one last question here, just of your favorite things. What about music? Do do you, I mean I'm thinking of curling a little bit differently than other sports. You know, a lot of athletes get their pump up tunes right before a match or even workouts, that kind of thing. Do you do that? Do you have favorite music that you kind of use to get you in the right mental state? Uh, I do actually, I do listen to, um, I do listen to a lot of music before I play. It's that same thing as I, I found I play better when I'm kind of jacked up and excited. So um, I use music quite often before games to get pumped up. But in terms of like a genre or like a band I use, it's like flavor of the week for me. I, my, uh, my playlist is a complete, schmozzle of every kind of music whether it's <laughs> heavy rock metal country pop all of it rap so i, I listen to anything that kind of listen, feels good on me at that moment so I, I can't exactly give you an exact one but probably a little more country than anything there you go well yeah. that's saskatchewan right middle of the country there yeah, you go. that's right there you go that's all good well i think that's is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up no that's awesome i appreciate you guys having me that was a load of fun Hey, oh, well, one quick question. So great. One Go last ahead. one. Where can people find out more about the Do More Agriculture Foundation? If they want uh, to contribute or get involved in some way. You bet. You can go to domore.ag. Um, that's the website. And then we're also on Twitter, um, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at uh, Do More Ag. So you can check us out on any three of those as well as the website. And you can kind of see what we got going on and and what we're kind of do, do what we're trying to do throughout Canada and uh, and check it out. Yeah, thank you. And then, what about your your people to reach you personally? Is that you have an Instagram handle, a Twitter handle? Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, same thing. On Instagram, I'm K Myers, and on Twitter, I'm Kirk Myers. And then our curling team is Myers Curling on Twitter, and uh, Instagram is Myers Curling, and Facebook is Myers Curling as well. So and, um, you can check us out on there. And that's spelled M-U-Y-R-E-S. Is that right? You, yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Because when people hear Myers, they may be spelling it differently. So that I want to yes. make sure they can find you. Yes, okay. you nailed it. Especially well, if they need you. a mortgage. That's right. right there you yep. go. Yeah. Give me a so, call. And so I much. <laughs> so much all in one person. So we really appreciate having you on and uh and this has been just a lot of fun we're gonna have to visit you in saskatchewan one of these days and uh yeah we'll we'll keep an eye on on what's happening and all your success awesome well thanks for having me you guys it's been a blast hey everyone thank you so much for listening to today's show to keep this train rolling to keep the podcast going we need your feedback your love share this podcast let your friends family athletes, coaches that you're involved with, know about the show, reach out to us at any time at pd at empowerconditioning.com with your feedback of people you'd like us to interview and your thoughts about what we are talking about on the podcast. Wherever you are listening, have a fantastic day and thanks again for joining us.